Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Jessica Bays, who I went to uni with. Um, we both graduated three years ago, and I was lucky enough to be her clinic partner in our student clinic experience. Um, so I've seen her work her magic and help so many people. She has a really good way of conveying messages and makes everything really relatable. Um, and she's so smart, so it's really good to see her transferring that knowledge in a really easy to understand that way. She's gone on to, to be doing research, so she's currently doing her PhD, and I'm I'm really excited for her to talk all about that. Um, so thank you so much, Jess, for coming in today um, and telling everyone about your experience. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. I don't know that I'm super smart. <laughs> you, you seem I, very smart, yeah. I just work very hard. <laughs> I've seen it firsthand, so. Um, so to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about what got you into the nutrition space? Yeah, absolutely. So when I, I didn't really like school. Um, yep. I wasn't particularly good <laughs> I didn't really feel like I fit in I was very quiet very shy um, I gravitated more towards doing art and music and I hated maths um, didn't think I was very academic um, so when I finished school I actually went on and did beauty therapy yeah. um, sort of a trade I knew I like wanted to help people I really enjoyed um, the skin massage side of it making people feel good and after doing that full-time for a few years um, I was getting lots of injuries <laughs> Oh I was no. like, oh god! I'm like 20. <laughs> yeah. I have tendonitis in my wrists and all these all these problems. Yeah. Um, and I was vegetarian, so I was doing lots of research into nutrition and things like that. Um, thought I might do, you know, an online course or something like that. Um, next thing I know, I enrolled to do the full <laughs> bachelor's degree. Um, <laughs> and I think it was from like the the second chemistry class. I was like, this is my jam. Yeah, I I'm not actually as stupid as I thought I was. <laughs> Definitely not. When it's <laughs> when it's something that you, you love and you're interested in, you're in a really nurturing, supportive environment. I just thrived. I just loved it and became a bit of a nerd and <laughs> went, went from thinking I was not very academic, not very clever, to being a A grade student and just relishing in doing well and and being the best that I could. Yeah. Um. And it was probably about halfway through um, that I was getting a bit frustrated. I was trying to write assignments and I was trying to find references for things that we were sort of taught and realising that there wasn't research in things I wanted to write about. Yeah. And like just really struggling to find, like, oh, I want to just say that this does this and there was no research or it was a really crappy animal study or it was, you know, only had 12 participants or something. And I'm like, people need to research this. And yeah. I was getting more and more and more annoyed. And then we were getting to the... Uh, clinical you know, the last year when we were in clinical practice yeah. and again it had to be very evidence-based and we couldn't recommend anything unless it was evidence-based evidence-based just sort of hampered into us all the time yeah. and just being like if we're going to be taken seriously as an industry we need this research yeah. and I was like do you know what screw it I'll, I'll do the research <laughs> <laughs> like instead of complaining that people need to do it I'll, I'll just do it yeah um and yeah that's sort of why I then decided to go into that aspect from which would just seem so foreign from being in sort of year 11 and 12 and doing studio art and music and playing the clarinet and doing all that sort of stuff <laughs> and being like oh I'm rubbish at maths and to then be on the path that I'm on now just seems so crazy if you told me then <laughs> but turn around but um yeah I'm very happy with the direction it's gone in and I, I love what I'm doing so yeah amazing so tell us a little bit about your studies you did full-time uni at Endeavour yes and then what did you do after we graduated so um, I did the Endeavour Honours program, which yep. is a one-year, very intensive, <laughs> very full-on. In fact, I think that was more full-on than my PhD that I'm doing now. Wow. <laughs> um, I was very ambitious with my project. Mm-hmm. I actually know what I wanted to do, um, like yeah. for my for my topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just spoke to the director of the research department at the time and said, look, I want to do something. I want to do something really hands-on. Um, you, you, like a like a proper like experiment type thing. Yeah. And she's like, right, okay, I'll put you in touch with 
some people mm-hmm. um, and my supervisor, Janet Sloss, was doing this, um, was looking into like B vitamins and, and that was sort of her jam. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a project that we could do looking at the bioavailability of different types of folate, which mm-hmm. is very sort of controversial topic for anyone <laughs> listening <laughs> about whether you know what type of folate you need and MTHFR mutations and all that sort of stuff yeah. and people had very strong opinions about it but there was no real evidence to show mm. what's better absorbed and I was like yes I will do that project yeah. <laughs> um, and it was full-on and it, but it was brilliant and it was I mean if you think your last year of nutrition was full-on and crazy <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing oh my god <laughs> like, I thought it just felt like every time I was like this is the most stressed I've ever been I'm like no this is the most stressed I've ever been no this is the most stressed but it Stepping was stones but it stress. was just oh how much I learned in that year it was unbelievable yeah like you think you know how to read a research paper and you don't <laughs> no. you don't <laughs> you think you know how to do a literature review you, do, you don't yeah. um the, the skills I learned even if I just stopped there Mm-hmm. would have made me so much better practitioner um whether i'd gone into any other industry with the skills you learn about technical writing um and, and reading papers uh, understanding evidence you know even if you don't want to do research that is valuable yeah. enough in itself yeah um, and i just thought it was amazing yeah. um, from that i got some incredible opportunities um mm-hmm. was invited to speak at an international conference in america wow which was completely <laughs> intense and insane um you know presenting in front of experts in the field of integrative medicine was just insane uh my supervisor was there as well and she just said to me um we're gonna go out to lunch and we're gonna decide what you're doing for your phd Wow. Okay. It's a bit like an intervention, sort of. (laughs) Like, say you're doing this. (laughs) Because I took a bit of a year off after the honours because it was so full on. Yeah. Uh, So we did. We went for lunch in an American diner. And she's like, right, what are you interested in? What are we doing? Like, let's make this happen. I'm going to put you in touch with some people uh, um, at at uni where you would, because Endeavour doesn't offer a PhD program. Yeah. And it all just went from there and. I am now, yeah. <laughs> but it's not my second year. <laughs> wow. So had you been interested in going on to do your PhD or were you, you just sort of deciding what you wanted to do next while you had that Definitely time Definitely was something I wanted to do. Even yep. when I was still doing my bachelor's, I was like, I want to do the honours because I want to do my PhD and that is the best, yeah. easiest, quickest pathway into into getting there. Yeah. Um, knowing that that's the easiest pathway is one thing and, and doing it is another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like... Um, you know, a normal course where you would apply and see if you meet criteria, you have to have your whole research proposal already made. You have to have decided what you're doing over the whole three years, how you're going to fund it, what you're going to do. Like the whole the whole thing has to be mapped out. Mm. And I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do yet. So yeah. even though I knew I wanted to do it, I didn't know what uni I wanted to do it at. I didn't know who I wanted to be my supervisors. I didn't really know my project. <laughs> so I think I did need a bit of a, a kick up the bum from <laughs> very supportive, wonderful people who were like, you can do this. Yeah. Let's make this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Mm. And do you want to tell us a bit about your project? I do because I love talking about my project. <laughs> um, I try not to go on about it too much. It makes me very boring at parties. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at um, diet and mental health. Yeah. Um, you have to look at something really quite niche and unique for a PhD. You have to generate brand new knowledge that's never happened before. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking very specifically at a Mediterranean diet for young men who have depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 18 to 25 age group who generally live off Maccas and KFC. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm doing a randomised control trial this year, which luckily I'm funded to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also done some some surveys, some literature reviews, um, and there'll be another survey project at the end as well, asking them about their experiences um, so we can really translate if, if that's a, a viable thing for them to do. It's one thing knowing that a certain diet works for depression but being like you know how likely are you to stick with this yeah. <laughs> is this is this affordable for you is this you know is this too time consuming how can we make this easier how can we so really person centered um because sometimes research can be quite disconnected mm-hmm. from real life yeah you know um it can be very sort of clinical in a lab or, or, or just just not doable for the everyday person so it's really trying yeah. to tie it in and make it actually have an impact yeah, amazing. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit about how you are going to find those results as well, like the type of research you'll be doing? Yeah, so um, the, the main project is a randomised control trial. Yeah. 
Um, so that's very sort of um, quantitative in the numbers and how you analyse that. It's also very it's sort of field work. So yeah. people are going to be coming in and having meetings with me uh, as, as a nutritionist, um, learning how to implement that diet. It's going to be for three months um, and they're going to be recording what they're eating on food frequency questionnaire type things every day so I can really sort of track and monitor where they're at and <laughs> make sure they're doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the control group, um, because we need to account for things like um, the therapeutic relationship and time and attention. They're going to come in and have appointments as well following the same schedule. Yeah. Um, but they're just, we're going to have a chat and it's, it's something called befriending. Um, so we're going to just play ball games and have a chat and things like that. So they get that same encouraging, supportive environment so we can really make sure that the changes to the depression scores, which is going to be our, our main outcome that we're looking at, yeah. um, is down to the, the dietary intervention rather yeah. than time and attention. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll be so fun. excited <laughs> when I get to look at those results. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. How long does it take to collect the data? Did you say three months? So the trial will go for three yeah. months. Yeah. So they'll come in for their first appointment. We'll do like a baseline. Yeah. So we'll look at, you know, um, they'll be given a score based on the Beck's depression inventory. Yeah. Um, of the severity um, mm -hmm. and they'll come in again you know at midway point and we'll do those things again and then at the end and we can then compare those numbers to yeah. see the, the drop in the depression scale mm -hmm. um, for, for both groups yeah um, but obviously not everyone is recruited at the same time okay yeah so there'll be a, a we'll probably be advertising for you know a good six months a year and people will sort of trickle in go yeah. through screening processes and so there'll be it's, it, it's a lot of project management if you're into yeah. organisation and colour coordinating and folders and tabs <laughs> and that sort of stuff. It's great. <laughs> you have to be so organised. Um, just because you're managing what, like 80 people all started and finishing at different times and their data and if you're into stationary <laughs> do research <laughs> which I am <laughs> so it's right up my alley. That's a good thing then. <laughs> yeah so it's um yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds really fascinating. It would be so cool to watch all of that unfold and know that you're like at the front line of it as well. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier when I said I really, I think people have this perception that research is really boring mm. um, and I really want to put across that it's not. Yeah. <laughs> like some bits of it are boring, you know, when you're doing your ethics applications and jumping through all those hoops and trying to apply for grants. Yes, it can be a bit boring, but um, the actual data collection and analysis and, and seeing those results, I mean, it's, it's like when you picture a real scientists doing experiments, <laughs> you know, like these people are like my guinea pigs and I'm, you know, I'm discovering new things, which is really exciting. And yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It gives you goosebumps when you're analysing your data and you see your first sort of set of results. Yeah. It, honestly, it's like a, a goosebump moment. <laughs> it's very, so cool. very exciting. Yeah. And like the rewarding nature of what you're doing would help drive you through as well. Absolutely. Especially when it's something you're passionate about. Exactly. Um, and you would obviously pick something that's going to sustain you through a three, four year degree, maybe longer. Yeah. Um, and when things are getting really hard or things are really, you know, a bit boring or frustrating <laughs> or you're just like, oh, this is doing my head in. You yeah. just think of the people that you're going to help, yeah. who this impacts. Mm -hmm. um, because it has a real trickle-down effect, you know. It's it's obviously going to inform, you know, clinicians and that's going to help patients. It might help inform policy. It might help, you know, from a public health point of view, like depending on what your topic is, it's helping people. Yeah, a um, lot of people. So when you're sat in front of your computer pulling your hair out because of the stats program isn't doing what you want it to do, <laughs> you just think of, you know, the, the people that it's going to affect yeah. and that kind of keeps you going <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and ultimately that's why we all got into this kind of industry is because we want to help people exactly um right. yeah so it's just sort of i've got lots of post-its up around the place to yeah. sort of remind me of my why why i'm doing it when it gets really tough yeah that's a good thing to do <laughs> um so tell us a little bit about what a typical day in your life would look like it sounds like you wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things so can you tell us a bit about the different roles that you do have to do when you're in the research fields absolutely and wearing lots of hats is exactly the right way to describe <laughs> it you kind of have to be able to do everything yeah um not necessarily once you've graduated once you've graduated and you're part of a research team, you will have experts that do certain things. So, for example, my primary supervisor is a statistician mm -hmm. and that's what he does. So when he's working with the other researchers, he does the stats. Yeah. However, as a student, I have to have I have to be able to do that myself because you have to be able to learn how to do 
everything. Wow. And then once you've finished, you can just delegate that to the expert. <laughs> I bet you can't wait for that. Oh, I cannot wait. Um, so a typical day, it varies depending on what time of the year it is and what project I'm on and things like that. But I try and do different things all the time to, to keep me motivated. If I get stuck doing one thing for too long, it can be a bit draining. Yeah. So at the so say last year, um, I started off doing my literature review, mm-hmm. which is very sort of at a computer, searching, finding what's been done in that topic, um, refining it down, sort of going through every paper, taking information out of that, putting it in tables, very sort of what people think of research. Yeah. But then once I finished that, I then started my survey project. Mm-hmm. And then that was when I got to be quite creative. That's when I was like, right, okay, that, what do I really want to know? What do I want to ask? How can I phrase questions in a way that's going to people are going to understand? How am I going to advertise my survey? How am I going to recruit on social media? You know, how am I going to do all of those things? And it was a lot more creative and making posters and social media posts and, and um, writing emails and approaching companies, lots of like networking and putting yourself out there and, and trying to drum up interest and and all those sorts of things so that was kind of more the skills I use in my business for my clinical practice yeah um so utilizing a lot of that that I do to kind of attract patients to come and see me is is quite similar those sort of skill sets Mm -hmm. um then there's trying to publish papers Mm -hmm. um so while I was doing that I was trying to publish my literature review so that's obviously lots of writing so if you like writing (laughs) that's a you know um that's what I would spend a lot of those days doing and then mm-hmm. I'd go right now let's jump over to this other project where I'm doing something else sometimes when I'm just having a, a, a bad brain day I will just sit and format my thesis <laughs> I'll make headings and I'll change the font <laughs> and I'll just play around with things like that I spend a lot of time reading mm. like I read a lot if you like reading yeah. um both popular science books about depression and diet and things like that just to s- get broad overviews about what the public think yeah. about things that's really good mm-hmm. right up to obviously technical peer-reviewed academic published papers yeah um so lots of reading yeah amazing um ethics applications are not the funnest part yeah. <laughs> to be honest <laughs> um but the feeling when you get something approved mm-hmm. there are a lot of cocktails and champagne once that <laughs> happens celebration <laughs> you know so there's a lot of hard work but then when things get accepted for publication when grants get approved when ethics is granted there yeah. are some real highlights through the year mm-hmm. um that make it all worth all the hard work so to go back to your question <laughs> what does an average day look to you it's lots of it's lots and lots of different projects mm-hmm. um, that you can swap and change between doing things depending on what you feel like doing that day. Okay. You, you might feel like doing project management side of things. You might feel like doing the recruitment strategy side of things. You might feel like just you're really switched on. You're going to do stats today. You're going to work on that. You might be feeling creative. So you might do the outline drafts of papers where you can draw different ideas together and start to sort of play around with themes. Like, yeah. It varies a lot. Wow. <laughs> it sounds very full on. It is very full on. Yeah. My next question is, how do you do it all? You know, sometimes <laughs> I just sit and eat ice cream, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Like you, <laughs> you know, um, but when you love it, it stays being interesting. If, if yeah. you're one of those people that in your spare time listen to podcasts and TED Talks and yeah. FX Medicine and that's what you do in your spare time, then yeah. it's not hard because you love it you, you love consuming knowledge and learning new things and trying new approaches yeah um you have to have quite a thick skin to a lot there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of criticism um which ultimately make you better yeah um you know it's not if, you, if you're someone that's thinking of getting into research because you you did really really well and you're a really high achiever and you're used to you know you graduated with distinction and you, you've got you got you know high distinctions all across and you're used to being brilliant yeah <laughs> be prepared to not be brilliant <laughs> like it will just shatter your ego you'll just be like wow I'm really dumb but it makes you it gives you a lot of life skills yeah it would make you like, stronger yeah. and get better yeah you know so um I get through it by having a really supportive team yeah um and if you do any sort of google searching on what's it like to do a PhD? What's it like to be in research? You know, what do I need to know before I do a PhD? Which I did a lot of because, you know, I'm a crazy type A person who did all <laughs> of that beforehand. Yeah. Um, 
you'll see common things come up on the blogs um, mm-hmm. and having a really supportive supervisors and, and network and maintaining your friendships and, and time away from it yep. are things that come up in all the recommendations. And okay. I would reiterate that those things are very important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to stay sane. Yeah. <laughs> because imagine. it's great to have other people you can talk to about your research that understand the struggles. Yeah. But it's also really good to have people that you cannot talk to about research. Yeah. That you can break. talk about, you know, <laughs> um, married at first sight. And just be <laughs> like, so. Because <laughs> you sometimes need to shut your brain off. Yeah. And just talk about rubbish sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. That's how it's it's having that balance. It's taking like self care to the next level. Yeah, <laughs> to to kind of keep everything in check. Yeah, sounds very needed. Um, and how did you go about finding a good support network? Like you were lucky to get a good supervisor through. Was it the honors program that you got yep. that through? Yeah. Yep. Um, so other tips. Janet is just amazing, and she ended up staying on and being a co supervisor for my PhD. Oh, amazing. Um. So. She's, I call her my research mum. She's just <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've called and cried on the phone to her. I don't know how many times. Um, you, you sort of, you, you would have meetings with them before you decide to go on and do it. So you would have yep. met them. You would have followed their work. You would know what, you know, uh, interests they have because that yep. has to really be in alignment with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get that support. Um Going to social events when they hold, you know, researchers' conferences and, and networking and putting yourself out there, which as an introvert, I'm rubbish at. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, I have another research friend who is very not like that and will introduce yeah. me to people. <laughs> um, but yeah, just sort of, you learn a lot of skills yeah. <laughs> in, ter- in, in regards to that. But um, yeah, just even um, Twitter is sort of like the academic Facebook, it's where where they're all out. And there's been a few yeah. people that have been in sort of my field and been other students. I have just sent them a message saying, hey, I'm another PhD student. I'm at so-and-so university. Like, let's connect, let's follow each other. And, yeah. and it's very supportive environments. So whenever I publish something, they write, oh, well, it's amazing. Whenever they do something, I do that back. And yeah. it's very uplifting. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So just sort of seeking out those support networks particularly because yeah. I go to UTS in Sydney and I live in Melbourne yeah I can feel quite isolated and lonely sometimes yeah um so having that sort of online community is really helpful yeah um and making sure that I get out of my house <laughs> <laughs> and do things <laughs> and have my hobbies where I interact with other people yeah <laughs> super important definitely <laughs> yeah yeah, cool. Um, so it sounds like you need a lot of skills to go into research. Do you find um, from having your own business, do you find there's a lot of value in that? Like, would you recommend that to other people who also want to go down the research pathway? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think having skills in research and doing research makes me so much better as a clinician. Yeah. Um, because I know how to read papers properly. I know how to tell when something is industry funded or food industry funded or not reliable or if they've done something dodgy with statistics or they've misrepresented something. Um, so being a clinician, you obviously have to practice evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And I think I can do that really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel quite confident in my ability to be able to assess things and go, okay, right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but I think being a clinician also helps me be a better researcher. Yeah. Because researchers, like I said before, can be quite disconnected to real life outcomes and patients and what's important to them. Yeah. You can get caught up in, you know, particularly if you go down sort of more of a biochemistry route, mm-hmm. you know, specific, you know, blood tests and markers of inflammation and this and that. And like, well, what difference does that make to the person? Yeah. The person that comes in actually is worried about pain or, or whatever it might be. So having that sort of daily interaction with people and patients and what's what's bothering them and what's important to them yep. kind of keeps that in the forefront of your mind when you're conducting and designing your research projects to really benefit them and mm-hmm. not get caught up in this um, research bubble of reductionist thinking. Yeah. Um, which can happen even in complementary medicine where we're all about holistic. Yeah. Um, you can still get into that really reductionist uh, mindset. So I think it goes both ways. Yeah. It, it really complement each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Do you want to talk a little bit more about your experience growing your business as well? Because I'm sure there'll be people listening and even just balancing the two. Like, (laughs) I don't even know how you do all the stuff you do for the research side of it, but also running a business. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you'll have other people on that can talk about just like the, the, uh, just purely clinicians and their experiences. Um, I jumped straight into the honours program as soon as I finished uni. And yep. I also started my business as soon as I finished uni. So yep. I was trying to do the full-time honours program, which was full on, yeah. while starting a business up from the ground up, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which my mental health suffered, or yep. I'll be honest there. Yep. Like it took a toll. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was to go back, I probably would have separated them a little bit yep. because it was so full on. I was being super ambitious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's slow to build up. Yeah. And I think that really should be emphasised. You, you, you're you not going to have your first day and have eight clients booked in back to back. <laughs> That's yeah. not how it happens. It's a lot of hustling. Yeah. Um, and a lot of skills that you're maybe not taught unless you have a business background about, I'm not, I don't know, I'm English. I'm not very good at <laughs> being like, I'm awesome, come see me. <laughs> um, so sort of getting the balance right between sort of marketing and not feeling like I'm being pushy those sorts of skills. Yeah. Um, mostly, my business grew from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I would just really focus on trying to do such a good job and be really personable and, and give all of my time and energy to that person sat in front of me yeah. uh, and really connect with them. And that would then make them so happy with the experience. They would go out and tell hundreds of people and then I yeah. would, I, I literally, I, I have no advertising budget. I, I don't Amazing. do ads or, or anything like that my yeah. business entirely grew from word of mouth of people being happy and trusting me with their health yeah um that th- that's entirely how it grew yeah so yeah just trying to <laughs> give all of me to them in that moment yeah that's <laughs> um good then your question was how do I balance yeah. <laughs> the two uh, it's tricky <laughs> it's very tricky I try to just have different spaces mm-hmm. so at home is when I do all of my research work and I have all my different research hats on I'm doing all of that yep. and then when I'm in my clinic space mm-hmm. um, that's entirely client time that's yep. making food plans or you know nutrient reports or admin or emails or whatever it might be and that's dedicated entirely to them mm-hmm. um, and I try not to do any of my PhD work when I'm there yeah just because it can get a bit muddled um yeah and I think they're coming in to see me and their health is in my hands I owe them all of that time yeah so even when I you know have a spare hour and I'm like I could be doing some research stuff I'm (laughs) like no (laughs) I'm in my clinic space this is all about serving the people that come and see me yeah so that's kind of how I juggle it I just keep them very separate yeah do you have a really good organizational system in place or like do you have any secrets to how well, to stay so organised? Yeah, I am very organised. Yeah, it sounds like you have to be. Um, even as a, a small child, my favourite shop uh, growing up in the UK was called the Stationery Box. <laughs> it was that. literally a stationery <laughs> shop. That's so funny. And probably my favourite shop at the moment, other than plant shops, because yeah. I love plants, plants um, is Office Works. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love planners and journals and diaries and highlighters and just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I make myself sound so sad. Like, trust me, I have a life. Um, yeah, just just yeah. your usual. Um, mm-hmm. I My, my like... Um, folders system on my laptop is like next level like (laughs) I can find everything wow all the folders with folders within folders like everything is labeled and just it's yeah yeah it's all very neat very uh, yeah I'm a bit not about all of that (laughs) but you have to be you you can't be disorganized and run a business and do a PhD yeah (laughs) and try and have any form of social life (laughs) doesn't sound possible at all so that is a good tip be organized yes (laughs) (laughs) lots of planning um and what about for if someone wants to go down the same path as you, if someone wants to go into research and they're really interested after hearing what you're talking about and seeing how fascinating and fun it actually can be, um, what would your advice be to them? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> and um, you've already given a lot, so if there's anything in particular I mean, you want to elaborate on. It will kind of depend where you studied. Yeah. Um, Endeavour have just 
shut the Office of Research. So they're no longer doing the honours program. So if you studied an endeavour, that's going to make things a little bit trickier. But there's definitely still pathways that you can take to get into research if your end goal is to do research in, and do your PhD and, and, and work in academia. Um you can do other honours programs, maybe look around and see where you can get into, whether it's an honours in, in nutrition or public health or, or something like that. Yep. Or you could do a master's by research as well, mm-hmm. um, which would be two years rather than one. Um, you might have to do some bridging units or you might not get the whole thing. It depends where you're listening from. Yep. Um, that, that's definitely a path where you can take. It might you know, take a little bit longer, but you can get there. Yeah. And even with your honours, you, you still have research opportunities open to you, for example, being a research assistant and things like that. Okay. Um, sort of more admin, you know, working in a, a research team, sort of just, um, you know, writing up results and getting published and doing all those sorts of things to see if it's the sort of thing you'd want to do. Yeah. If, if you don't want to commit and then do your full PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do that little bit of research in your master's by research or honours and go, yeah, no, this is... I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's about finding good supervisors. Yeah. I had tried just contacting unis and, and looking up um, their different academic staff and their projects and things like that mm-hmm. and, and sort of cold calling them and heard nothing back. Okay. Um, so it's kind of who you know. Yeah. So really sort of networking, get on LinkedIn, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, also, you can often find PhD scholarships on SEEK. Okay. If you type in, you know, um, PhD just and leave all the other fields blank or just look in Melbourne or wherever you might be, yep. um, you, you'll see loads. Okay. There are loads on there, um, often not related to your field at all. Yep. Um, but just to give you an idea that these sort of things do come up and are available, um, I've even been sent PhD scholarship opportunities on LinkedIn cool. because I put that as my interest so yeah. I like Swinburne and places have like sent me messages saying you know we've got openings for PhD we've got scholarships available in projects on this 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 for pre-established projects which are already going yeah. where they just want a student to come in cool. um, so if you're really not sure what you want to do but you know you want to go that path mm-hmm. there are things you can start looking at um, the university websites have loads of information like yeah. what you need to be eligible what you need to do like your proposal, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really good blog called The Thesis Whisperer. Okay. And it just it has everything you could possibly want to know about how to write a proposal, how to find your supervisors, how to approach universities, how to like put everything together for your application, uh, grants, what they mean, scholarships, what that means, um, all of that sort of stuff. Because yeah. I, have, I have a scholarship, which means the university just pays me yep. to just do it do my research and then on top of that I have a grant which is money specifically for my project so there's all of this new world that sounds so foreign (laughs) like how do I navigate this (laughs) all of that information is online but the thesis whisperer is a really good place to find really honest sort of like I went through this this is how it is yeah um yeah sounds like a great resource Mm. yeah yeah, but universities usually have it really clearly described what you need for that particular institution yeah cool yeah amazing and what is your vision like where do you want to take this research (laughs) (laughs) it can be if that's too big you can go just to like distant future as well so obviously you want to find some hopefully amazing results from this current phd study um but yeah why are you in research okay. what's your <laughs> so i guess in the short term yeah i would like to survive my PhD <laughs> with all of my hair still on my head yeah, without coming great. <laughs> um i obviously want to um you know finish this project um look at the results publish that and potentially help a lot of people yeah um once i finished and defended my thesis and got that published and hopefully um graduate yeah um I'd like to work as a researcher at a university cool um so it's part of a research team continuing whether it it might not necessarily be in this specific field that I'm doing my PhD in it might just be more broadly in nutrition or in public health or in mental health or something like that yeah and that's the amazing thing once you're once you have your PhD and you're a researcher, mm-hmm. you can literally research anything. It doesn't have to be nutrition, oh, well. your background. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, my supervisor is a statistician yeah. and he works in teams looking at, um, you know, osteopath, um, 
research related things and, and yeah. things on women's health and fertility and things about pregnancy and things about and he doesn't have a background in any of that yeah because you can go into any different field that you want to do so interesting basically yeah um so that's all of health is open up to you then yeah in any direction so it would be it's called a research fellow okay um or early career researcher yeah um and you would work there for a couple of years and then you would work your way up to the top which would be like a professor yeah where you're then you you know you're at the top of those research teams and those sorts of things and you can get really big nhmrc grants for like millions of dollars and and do huge like really impressive cool stuff i mean that would be like 20 years away yeah (laughs) that's like bigger vision stuff yeah Um, but there's loads of opportunities to travel yeah. Um, basically, researchers just tag their holidays onto where exotic conferences are. So good. So, for example, there is a public health conference in Rome in October this year, cool. which I will apply to uh, have a poster presentation at. Yeah. Um, and you can apply for funding for the uni where they that pay for your flights there, and then you just add an extra week and you have a holiday in Rome. That is so good. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's sort of like one of those life hacks that researchers do. That yeah. They just add their holidays onto. You know, they, they, they find um, a location that they want to go to. They find yeah. a conference that's there. <laughs> and then they sort of get the uni to pay for it. That is so good. <laughs> that's, you know. <laughs> so there's loads of opportunities to travel and, and, yeah. and international collaboration and just all, like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So um, that's something I want to do in my career as well more um, is to get to travel and, and, you know, meet lots of incredible people at the I read something that was like you want to aim to be like the dumbest person in the room. You want to have, you want to be surrounded by people that lift you up and inspire you and make you want to be better and just leave that room going, I have so many ideas. Like you know, yeah. Um, So I want that to always be the case that I'm like surrounded by people that inspire and lift me up. And being in that kind of um, academic setting is definitely full of sort of visionary people. Yeah. Um, like I, I follow so many researchers on Twitter that I have massive crushes on. I'm just like, <laughs> you're like my research crush. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I would just totally fan girl if I was to meet them. Um, you know, so that that was they're sort of my short and long term goals for my career in research. Yeah. Um, and I think I would always like to have at least one day staying in clinical practice. Yeah. Because of the reasons I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So sort of. Yeah. Four days, you know, working at a university, getting to travel around, go to conferences, conduct amazing, life-changing research um, and have, you know, one day sort of face-to-face consulting still. Yeah. What a vision. That's amazing. Well, I mean, that might... (laughs) It will happen. (laughs) I said it here, so it has to happen. (laughs) You're putting it out there. Yep. Um, You mentioned when you were talking about going over to Rome, hopefully going over there and presenting. Do you want to talk a bit about the opportunities that come from presenting? Because you also mentioned you went over to America and did Mm -hmm. one over there too. Yeah, absolutely. Which was... um, terrifying because I am not a good public speaker um <laughs> at all um and but I you won an award that's important <laughs> to did. mention so you must be good <laughs> um and I think there's this perception that researchers are like the um cast of the big bang theory that they're very <laughs> antisocial sort of really intelligent but like have no communication skills whatsoever and that's really not the case you have to be very good at speaking presenting um not only to other academics but to the lay public as well um you know whether that's in a blog form or in a a talk or a a ted talk even or something like that um and being able to really simply you know explain what what you're doing and why it's important and why they should listen yeah um so presenting skills is something i did not have a lot of (laughs) i think it's just practice you know it's not something i had a lot of experience in at all um and i'm not very good at (laughs) (laughs) um but that networking, putting yourself out there, you know, particularly at a poster presentation, how it works is kind of all the posters are sort of lined up in this big hall and people just get to like wander up and down, read them. And you need to engage people to come over and be like, hi, this is what I did. Do you have any questions? And you'll end up talking to people who were like the dean of a university or, you know, (laughs) people that are, they really should have better labelled name tags. <laughs> I got in conversations. No, that would scare you then. <laughs> I got in conversations with some people that I was like, yeah, that was really good. And then my friend came over and said, do you know who that was? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like, oh, did I embarrass myself? Um, you know, like, 
and, and and the opportunities that then come from that yeah. is like amazing and that's why people go to these things it's all other researchers going right they're doing something similar or they're they're approaching that in a totally novel and new way yeah. let's collaborate on a project like that's you know let's keep in contact and that's when you you get really exciting things happening then yeah um so even though it like scares the shit out of me um it's worth putting yourself out there and yeah. and and doing those things because what can come from it it can be magical so yeah, yeah. plus you get to go on holiday <laughs> who can say no to that yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah networking can be so powerful and I think it's often underestimated and we're not really taught about it like I don't ever remember being told in uni go out there and meet as many people in the field as you can but yeah when you start to see the power of that and the opportunities that come yeah that's a good Absolutely. message yeah um, what is one mindset shift that you think is necessary to have like a successful career in research? Oh, <laughs> obviously need to be tough skinned. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's like something along those lines, like yeah. not striving to be perfect. There's, mm-hmm. I follow all these like, you know, like inspirational PhD memes to kind of encourage you as you go. Yeah. And one that comes up a lot is, um, oh, what is it? Something like. Um, a perfect thesis isn't a done thesis or something along those lines like you, you can't just keep trying to get it perfect sometimes it just has to be d- done you have to just yeah. walk away sometimes yeah and I think the type of people that are attracted to research and academia and those sorts of things tend to be perfectionists mm-hmm. and just sort of going you're not going to get it right the first time you're going to suck it's going to be scary you're doing something that you know you're not going to be good at mm-hmm. and you're going to be criticized yeah. But you just got to push through because you will learn as you go. It will make you better. It will make you stronger. Um, so just accepting that you might not be great at something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I love <laughs> Being that. Being able to deal with critis- a lot of criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good message. And I really love the quote, done is better than perfect, which like, yep. yeah, is right in line with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of success, what does success mean to you? Oh, very <laughs> interview question. Um, I mean, I doubt, given the industry, mm-hmm. I doubt you're going to have anyone that comes on, it's like, you know, making lots of money. Yeah. Um, I think feeling of value mm-hmm. to me. I feel like I've had a successful day if I have contributed. Yeah. That sounds a bit cheesy, doesn't it? Um, I feel like that about any... I get really annoyed if I've just, like, laid in bed and watched Netflix all day. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I have to have done something, uh, you know, like, of use, of value. Yeah, to help others. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that might just be writing the introduction of a paper because yeah. that's still of use because that will eventually be published and that will help people. It might be in my business, you know, writing an, a meal plan or something like that. Yeah. Um, it might be... Um, you know, my recruitment um, social media post because that's going to help people come in and that the try it's still of use. It's still yeah. doing something that contributes that makes a difference. Yeah. And if I feel like I've, even if it's very tiny, <laughs> a tiny yeah. little blip that I've helped even just a handful of people, mm-hmm. then it was worth it. Yeah. You know, um, and particularly in the topic I'm doing about, um, you know, young men's mental health, when you look at suicide rates and, and toxic masculinity and then not, you know, the, the taboo of going and, and seeking help and, and all those sorts of things. I'm like, if mm-hmm. by changing their diets, something that they can do that empowers them, that, you know, it makes a difference to just a handful of people that actually do it. Yeah. Then I, like my life has been of service and of, of help. Yeah. So that would, I think that would be success. Yeah, amazing. And that's so good because it is something that you can step into that every day. Like you said, it can just be something small. So it's so important because I think people often put success up on a pedestal, but to be able to embody that and do that each day through small, tangible steps, like that's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before you spoke a little bit about reading and I'm a massive bookworm, so I always have to have a book question in here. Yes. What is one book that you recommend that every listener should read? Oh, I mean, I couldn't pick one. It's so hard, isn't it? I, I mean, I read, I read a lot. I read yeah. nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. So books about anything and everything, yep. whether it's about productivity or, you know, um, sleep patterns or, you know, more about my topic. It might be about mental health or it might be about diet or all those sorts of things. Yeah. Has but, there been um, one life-changing one or...? But I don't think there's anything that's been life-changing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think what I would recommend, yeah, and I do this every year. I reread Harry Potter. I love Harry every Potter year <laughs> because I spend so much time reading <laughs> academic journals and science books and and taking in knowledge. Yeah, that taking something back to my childhood mm-hmm. that is joyful and has no purpose. Yeah. That is just for fun for mm. me. It's like I do it in the middle of winter when it's raining and cold and you don't want to go out. Yes. And I have a cup of tea and I just relish every page and <laughs> I read it slowly. And I just, I have to limit myself because I just will binge read and like not yeah. get out of bed for like six hours. And <laughs> like, I have to pee. <laughs> so that's what I would recommend. I would say if you've yeah. just finished studying mm-hmm. and you've been reading all these papers and doing these assignments and do something, read something for fun from yeah. your childhood that you love yeah. as a self-care to, you know type thing that, yeah that's what I would recommend Love um it. because there are hundreds of really great books yeah. <laughs> um you know but the only one that's like changed my life mm-hmm. is Harry Potter <laughs> so whatever it might be Narnia yeah. whatever it is yeah read something that really brings you joy because if you're going to get into research and you're thinking about going down that path and you've just finished you know all your clinic hours and, and studying your brain's a bit fried yeah do something for no reason Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. <laughs> I love it. Good answer. <laughs> um, actually, that ties me really well into the next question. In nutrition, we're in the business of helping other people. So how important is it for you to help yourself and look after yourself? And what do you do to um, take care of yourself? That's a good question. Um, and I imagine most people should have really good answers for that because we are nutritionists. <laughs> um, look, when I was doing my honours, my mental health was really bad. I was, you know, I was trying to set up a business um I was doing honors which was full-on a lot of (laughs) criticism and self-doubt and 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 I was also going through some personal relationship breakup issues Mm -hmm. um and I I had really bad anxiety and I did medication and I was having panic attacks and all that sort of stuff so when I started my PhD Mm -hmm. I made a promise to myself that I would um go see a counselor every two weeks yeah like and that was my you're you're not allowed to do this Mm -hmm. unless you do this like wow, that, yeah. that's what you have to do and even when I'm fine I still go and yep. I just chat and I just debrief and I'm like oh yeah I'm stressed because of this stupid thing or you know this w- whatever mm-hmm. um because just having somewhere you can debrief mm-hmm. and just get it all out yeah. um so that's my 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 one thing that I won't negotiate like I will yeah. go and do that for the whole three four years however long this takes yeah <laughs> I, I will do that because you know mental health is obviously very very so important yeah um otherwise I don't really have any sort of I wish I did sort of special like ritual I don't have any sort of you know it can even be things like eating healthy or exercising or any um, of those things and obviously you know I'm a nutritionist I I imagine we all (laughs) eat pretty healthy (laughs) you know um I as I might have said before I'm 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 vegan so I eat healthy I eat mostly plants it'd be hard to eat unhealthy um I don't exercise as much as I should, but I, it, well, I suppose the thing that makes the biggest difference to my self care, um, is like being with my friends and going out dancing and it might not technically be healthy, you know, having a champagne or whatever, but just letting go of the stress of the day. Um, like I said, reading Harry Potter, doing something that's not work related, um, I very nerdily play the clarinet, so I oh. you know, play music and mostly just Harry Potter songs. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I love gardening. I love being out in nature. I've got a cute little balcony patio full of plants um, yeah. where I'll go out and read a book uh, with a cup of tea. So nice. You know, all those sort of sort of things. But I suppose the the, the non-negotiable is the counselling, yeah. um, just to debrief and just work through any things that might be just bubbling. He calls it... He, he sort of mentions it like um, you're like a uh, like pasta boiling over. Oh, and yeah. Sometimes you just need to le- take the lid off yeah. just to you know let the air escape. Yeah, and that's what it is. <laughs> I go and see him every two weeks, and we just let the air escape so I don't <laughs> bubble over. You know, just have that. Just yeah. okay. I can forget about all that stupid drama now. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my one thing that I I stick with. Yeah, that's so good. And it's so important to have time to yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Nice. Um, so, do you have any parting words of advice for the listeners? Um, research is not boring. <laughs> yeah. You should definitely do it. <laughs> but it's hard. It's yeah. hard. I cry a lot. <laughs> um, but you need to have a really important why. Mm-hmm. Think about what it is you're interested in. It might be, you know, 
women's health or um, pregnancy or, you know, children or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And just think of them when it gets really hard and you're just pulling your hair out over stats. Be like, why am I doing this? And you're doing it because you're going to be, ha- be able to help more people than you ever could one-on-one in clinical practice or education or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and just having that really strong why of... And, and yes, do research. We need more yeah. <laughs> natural <laughs> um, therapists in research to bring that holistic balance, to bring credibility to our industry yeah. as well. Um, it has so many benefits. Um, even if you're not sure 100% is what you want to do, just sort of look into it. You know, yeah. go on to the Thesis Whisperer blog, read some like what's it like in a day-to-day, um, you know, speak to other people, you know, look up some research projects, look up some you know, professors, what they're doing, follow some people and just let it marinate in the back of your head because it might be something that you later on go, yes, that's what I want to do. Amazing. Yeah, we definitely need more people researching. So good message. Love it. Um, Last but not least, where can the listeners find you so they can follow along your journey and see all of this amazing stuff you're doing? Um... (laughs) Probably social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am. I'm, I'm on all of the usual things. So it would be my name, Jessica yeah. Bayes. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, there's also like a, a research version of that called a research gate, where you share all of your publications and projects that you're doing and things like that. So that's cool. research gate. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter. I think I'm Jess Bayes four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's another <laughs> another place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. I've learned so much and I'm sure everyone who listens to this will gain so much value from it. Um, Yeah, I wish you all the best with everything you do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality.